Welcome to another episode of Our Inner Sparks Featured Insights. I am Lily Yen, your host of this podcast and founder of Our Inner Sparks, a social enterprise that provides products and services to enable individuals, businesses, and organizations to reach their fullest potentials in a fast and ever-changing world. We dedicate a portion of our profits to support and fund social programs to empower and enable those in the community, especially women in need. On our podcast, we will be featuring some amazing women in our communities doing extraordinary things. They will also be sharing some information, tips, and strategies around the area of their expertise to enable all of us to excel in our lives. If you like our program, please don't forget to subscribe. Just click on the subscribe button on your screen. If you would like to continually support the growth of our Inner Sparks social programs, such as this podcast, please consider a one-time or a subscription of donations on our website. Now, let's get to today's feature. In this episode, we will meet Pam Fanjoy. Pam has a personal lifetime mission to cook up change that lasts a lifetime by fostering joyful, healthy relationships while leveraging delicious, healthy food to facilitate meaningful connections between others to nourish their bodies, minds, and souls. She has over 25 years of clinical social work experience, working with children, adolescents, and families. Then in 2016, she became the CHOP Canada champion on Food Network. In recent years, Chef Pan Fanjoy has also been cooking up a storm by building a business around her lifetime mission and passion. Even in the mix of a pandemic, she delivers a one-of-a-kind junior chef life skill program. We're so fortunate to have Pam joining us today to talk about her unique and successful journey. Welcome, Pan. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm so thrilled to be here with you. Thank you for having me. Oh, so nice to have you. Uh, so let's kick off with a self-introduction, Pam. Um, could you give our audience a little bit more about yourself and your passion in life? Absolutely. I, uh, I'm Chef Pam Fanjoy, uh, an award-winning chef, Chop Canada champion, and the founder of Fanjoy, located in Hillsburg, Ontario. Wonderful. And really, at, Fan at Fanjoy, what we're doing is cooking up change and feeding connection. So interesting, like you're connecting the change and connection with food. We're going to get a lot into that later. It's very exciting. I know you have a very unique story. You're combining successfully years of your experience in youth and family therapy with your passion in cooking as well and building out this successful business and transitioning it through the pandemic even, right? So, you know, can you give our audience some idea? How did you go from you know, your past experience and all the things that you've done in clinical work to now owning a business and doing these type of work with cooking. You know, what are the major milestones? What led you here? Absolutely. It's been a really exciting journey. And this is a question I get asked a lot. And people are often very confused about how a social worker and family therapist becomes a chef and then makes the massive kind of pivot that I have in the last year. Yes. So I became a social worker back in 2000. I graduated 
after working five years in the field down in Kitchener, Waterloo and going back for my master's degree at Laurier. And after I graduated, I became involved in children's mental health at Peel Children's Center. I worked in residential treatment programs, uh, section 19 classrooms in schools and the court systems working with youth who were experiencing emerging mental health issues that were fairly serious in their teen years and that was getting them into trouble with the law. Mm -hmm. So after my years there, I did go into the hospital systems. I worked specialized in child and adolescent outpatient psychiatry. Mm -hmm. And I really, really found my niche there. I've always had an interest in child development and also in working with families. Right. I think families are really underserviced in the mental health system and particularly so I noticed with teenagers where as therapists, we often believe that, you know, they can speak for themselves and they're independent and we have to protect confidentiality. Mm-hmm. However, the problem is children and adolescents live within families and families are often stressed when their kids are going through stress and children are stressed if their parents are stressed. So right. I've always viewed a family as a whole system. And I think that's what really sparked uh, a different stage of my social work career when I worked in the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. I eventually left there and went into private practice. And I ran a very successful private practice in Oakville. I also trained in collaborative law in 2010 and became a child specialist and family specialists that could assist families going through separation and divorce. Mm -hmm. So during those years, about 50% of the families I worked with were families who were experiencing some sort of mental health issue, depression, anxiety, emerging schizophrenia or bipolar. And I helped those families develop parenting plans that actually worked after separation. I still was seeing that things were really not changing very much in the healthcare and counseling centers. And it was a great frustration for me. And so my work was fairly stressful. In 2012, I opened up and founded the first interdisciplinary collaborative law center in Ontario called Chestnut Collaborative Solutions in Etobicoke. And I was very privileged to work with a number of other lawyers, social workers, and financial professionals who were really wholeheartedly committed to creating a center where it was like a one-stop shop where you didn't have to go to a legal appointment here and then to a counselor Mm -hmm. over here and a school meeting over here for your kids. And that center and experience of actually seeing both how challenging it is to collaborate with others when you're helping a family, but also how richly rewarding and effective it is, led me to realize that this was really the only kind of integrated counseling that I wanted to do moving forward. Right, right. Now, it was during that time, oddly enough, while I was part of this founding organization and doing about 50% of my work, mediating parenting plans and working with pretty high risk youth uh, that were struggling with mental health issues that I realized I didn't want to burn out as a social worker. Mm -hmm. It really is my first passion. And so I knew 
that it was really important for my own self-care that I had a hobby that I could do in the evenings or on the weekends when I wasn't working that would really bring me joy. Right. And so I asked myself, what don't I know how to do? And I didn't know how to cook at 40 years old. So I ended up going back to cooking school and I literally Googled, how does one learn how to cook? And all these cooking schools, including George Brown College, came up and that was not a world I had ever been exposed to. Wow. I grew up in a very, yeah, yeah, surprising. (laughs) I I had no idea, Chef Pam, that you didn't know how to cook until recently. Like, I mean, as, as in... This is some skill that you picked up middle in the middle of your career, which is amazing. You know, it tells a lot about, you know, when you're focused on something and when you're passionate about something and it's never too late, no matter when. <laughs> it is never too late. Absolutely. And I certainly um, am a lifelong learner. You have to have the courage to step out of your comfort zone and learn new things. Absolutely. And I didn't know how to cook. I, I grew up the youngest of five in a very poor family, single parent home. And we lived in Ontario housing. And uh, for most of my young years, we were a family that received welfare. And so we often didn't have food on the table. And very rarely would we ever come around a table to eat because it just really brought home the painful fact that we didn't have enough to go around for Mm. the family of six. So I went back to to culinary school and to say that it took a life of its own on is an (laughs) understatement within one year i started cooking for a lot of the lawyers that i was working with who led really busy lives but cared about feeding their family healthy delicious meals with real food and that was what i was really into as a chef i was fascinated learning new ingredients that I had never really been exposed to in my own lifetime. And I started, you know, really learning about different vegetables and fruits. And uh, so I needed practice. And the people I was working with were more than happy to pay me to do home prepared meals. Mm -hmm. And those fully prepared meals are now one of the main income sources of my business, Fanjoy. We have a gourmet to go meal lineup of fresh and frozen foods that now during the pandemic we're delivering uh, for home delivery. And that's how it started out. Nice, nice. Yeah, within two years, I was so busy um, running fully prepared meals out of my home to professionals and customers throughout the GTA that I needed a storefront. And I was in my last year of culinary school and I had a summer in France, so I spent four months in France for my externship, cooking under a Spanish chef, but classically French trained. Mm -hmm. And every day we would go to the market and we would get just what we needed for that day. And I love that way of cooking. That's truly farm to table. And that's what I really became known for at my 30 seat restaurant, Fanjoy in Hillsburg, when I opened up here in 2016. Nice, wow. And isn't 2016 when you also went on the Food Network with the Chop Canada? Well, it's when it it's when it aired. So oh, I opened I my storefront. I opened my storefront in Erin, Ontario, January of 2014 because I was too busy with food to continue doing it out of my inspected kitchen at home. And so it was a year after I opened that storefront that I actually taped 
Chop Canada and I won. But of course, no one knew. We were under strict rules, oh, not you know anyone else. Ah. <laughs> uh, and then when I was in my second year of the business, I was now full time in the business. I still did see some social work counseling clients in my office in Toronto, mm -hmm. but my food business was really demanding uh, more than full time attention from me because I was the chef. But I, of course, was also running the business. I had a catering division and I also had a marketplace where I sold high-end giftware and tools that really any home chef would be proud to use. So, right. um, nice. yeah, so that was 2015. And then uh, I ended up in a little bit of a business crisis. My landlord was selling my building that I was renting. Mm -hmm. And I knew by that point, in 2015 that I was really all in, that this was something that I wanted to do. And so I ended up buying my own building in Hillsburg. And at that point, my customers who had been coming to my 14 seat cafe that was sort of scattered throughout the marketplace area were saying to me, Pam, you really need a full service restaurant. And so I, Oh, that's when I opened the restaurant and uh, my food network show had just come out. So of course, once they all saw Chop Canada and I won that, then there was no question at that point that my customers wanted me to have a restaurant. And I just made sure that I had the space and ability to continue oh. doing what I was already doing very successfully in Aaron, but we added on the 30 seat restaurant as well. Oh, so wonderful. Wow. That's amazing. And, and then I think you are making some even more like you, you alluded to earlier, you making some more pivoting, right? Right. So what I was doing in the early years of having, it was called the Friendly Chef Adventures in Aaron. When I opened the Friendly Chef Adventures in Aaron, what I was really doing in the background that no one knew about mm -hmm. was taking my two passions and starting to whisk them together. Yes. I took the room that was at the back of my store and I created a culinary studio back there where I could bring families, youth, and small business groups together and teach them how to communicate, cooperate, and collaborate. I called that the three C's and that's where it sort of started. I began to see the incredible, powerful healing that could yeah. happen when we bring people together around a table with food. Food is the common denominator for all of us. And it's also an amazing way for us to come to understand one another better. Yes. Different cultures, yes. different ingredients, different ways of preparing, celebrating, and communicating around a table. And as I started seeing that people who would never normally come into counseling for whatever reason, including stigma, were willing to come into the kitchen and have conversations with me as a therapist that could happen in a more lighthearted way. And at the same time, they got to taste delicious food, learn things about ingredients and how food can nourish your body, mm -hmm. your mind and your soul all together. And that's what became absolutely fascinating to me and what led me to start working on my culinary counseling model that is now the major pivot we've taken during COVID. 
Yeah, absolutely. So exciting. And it's so holistic. And I think, you know, based on what you were just talking about in the common denominator of being food, um, we don't often think of it that way. Like food, a lot of times in times of stress or people when people are busy, it's really just filling your stomach. And that's what sometimes it ends up happening, and, you know, and, and people often spend a lot of time, you know, when they're preparing it stressfully. And uh, I think this is great model to, to, to be actually doing to, to also educate people. Food preparation could be a joyful time, collaborative Absolutely. time where you can all connect. Wow. Like Absolutely. what a concept. I love it. <laughs> and, and, you know, our taglines are feeding connection and cooking up change. And those taglines were chosen when I rebranded in 2017 very carefully and with tremendous purpose. I think you've really hit the nail on the head and you, you know, holistic is exactly what this model of culinary counseling is all about. It is holistic in terms of how we use food here to nourish the body, the mind and the soul. But our mode of working with youth, couples, families, and corporate groups, Mm -hmm. whoever you are, we work with you holistically as a whole person that lives in a society and is impacted by multiple things. And I don't believe, and I never have believed that when someone is struggling, particularly with uh, a mental health issue that is what we call clinically significant or they've been diagnosed with something like depression or anxiety some counseling really looks at that being some deficit Mm -hmm. of the person the individual and we don't take that approach and i think one of the things that the pandemic is showing everyone now is that mental health can affect everyone. It does affect everyone and mental health problems. While you may have never experienced them in your life with the certain right combinations of stressors and factors, Mm -hmm. anyone can undergo uh, significant issues that lead them to have mental health concerns that debilitate them in their day-to-day life. Right. Absolutely. Especially now, I think, like you said, with the pandemic, Um, I I mean, that kind of follows through with the next question I have. What do you think has been the biggest challenge for you during this pivot and during, you know, the pandemic itself? How has it really been impacting you, the business, and maybe even your clients? And what have you learned from that? Okay, that's three questions. I'm going to, I'm going to take them one at a time. Okay. I'll say, um, I'll talk a little bit about the business first yeah. and then I'll talk about what I'm seeing with clients and then I'll talk about, you know, me personally and what some of the challenges have been in making the pivot. Right. So I would say last March, you know, like uh, many other restaurants, I had to close down um, when the first lockdown happened. I laid off all of my staff and I operated here on my own for about two and a half months. Uh, so I was the chief bottle washer, dishwasher, chef, um, you know, website designer, putting our gourmet to go <laughs> meals up online. I was the driver. Uh, I was doing it all in ways that I had never, ever done before. Right. And 
during that time, I started interviewing our customers. Uh-huh. So when I would go and drop ready to go meals off, I would, I would chat with them for a bit and ask them, you know, how the pandemic was affecting them, what was going on with their children, what they were seeing with other colleagues, friends, family, they cared about. And I started really doing um, qualitative research. I did a couple of focus groups and started doing phone interviews. And I particularly was hearing concerns about parents, worries for their children, especially when they didn't go back to school after March. Right. And then April, they were back in school and May, they weren't back in school. And so I followed this along. And the more concern I heard from our customers about the well-being of their children and the more stressed I saw parents becoming right. about their children's mental health, the more I realized I needed to do something. Um, while I was not working in a hospital setting, I have 25 years of clinical experience and uh, I needed to really step up and use that in a way that was going to help families in this pandemic and through this pandemic. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that I noticed with my clients at that time was that parents were now either laid off of work and worried about money, or they were working at home. And if there were two parents working at home, then they were really challenged by just the logistics of where does everyone have their working space? How do the kids, you know, yeah. have a space for homework? And they were exhausted. They were exhausted back last May. Yeah. Um, let alone now. We're still going on. Yeah. I yeah. Know. Yeah. And it's creating more conflicts and right and within the, the being together all the time without any breaks has been challenging at times. Absolutely. You know, I mean, we're seeing divorce rates are, are going up. There's, you know, uh, wife abuse is going up. Like there are yep. just so many challenges in a home when you live with a family and you're undergoing this kind of stress. And if you layer on top of that, financial stress that so many families are undergoing, worrying about whether you are going to be able to keep your home, uh, whether you're going to get called back to work and have a job again, and also, uh, you know, how you're going to provide for your your children. And children are feeling that. Teenagers are feeling that. University students who've had to move back home, they are feeling this. Uh Uh, And so that's what I was noticing with my clients. And so from a business perspective, I just really realized that you know, the takeout model for the restaurant that I had, of course, pivoted to, and I was doing curbside pickup. First of all, logistically, it was a nightmare. Uh, it was, it's very different doing takeout and being a quick service restaurant style than it is to be in the hospitality business and to welcome people into your restaurant, especially when it's a destination restaurant like mine was. While we served the locals, and this was really a community hub for our locals to gather and feed connection, meaning make new friends, nourish their mental health, you know, come together in community. They would talk to people at the other table uh, when they came out to dinner, even if they didn't know them, because that's the kind of atmosphere we have here, given my staff's mental health background and training. It's all about connection and how we can connect. Yes. And so... From a business perspective, I knew by the end of the summer that I needed to make some drastic new business models in order to both meet the needs that I was seeing out in the community and also to feel personally like I was fulfilling what my real purpose in life was. So wonderful. Yes. 
So for me personally, I think the first six months, um, it was really challenging. I mean, I went from having, you know, 200 customers here a day and my work being something that was really my community too, uh, and having a very clearly defined role in my job about what I needed to do. I needed to cook delicious food as a chef. I needed to welcome people into my restaurant and be that front face of front of the house. And I needed to educate people about some of the new things that they were getting to see on their plate so that they would be excited about the experience here dining. And suddenly I didn't have any of that. I didn't, I was alone. Uh, it was incredibly lonely. Uh, there was a lot of grief for me around feeling like I had built this restaurant up with a lot of hard work and a lot of struggle over the last four years. And just when we were getting into our stride and becoming profitable, it was like the, everything just got ripped out from under us. Mm. So it, it was hard for me to make the decision as I did in October that I was going to take down the marketplace, uh, which was one side of the building. And I was going to expand that area into a safely distanced cooking studio where I could continue to have the youth and the teens in our community come in and do cooking classes and receive culinary counseling in a socially distanced way that met all of the public health regulations right. and allowed us to do that safely. So that's what I did. And we kind of got through until December. I continued to service our catering customers. And, uh, you know, of course, Christmas is a big time where families generally gather and that didn't happen this year, but we didn't know that until right before. Mm -hmm. So we kept the food end of the restaurant going in a takeout format um, and with catering platters until after Christmas. And by that point, there were more youth and families coming forward saying, yes, wow, you'll see our kids in person, really? A lot of counseling agencies had already gone only strictly to remote Zoom counseling. Right. And because of how I had physically set this space up, I could still see you know, six to eight youth at a time for groups. I was developing new groups in the fall specifically to target youth who were too anxious to go back to in-person school. Right. So we developed a teen intensive teen program uh, that integrated a holistic way of working with people by incorporating music therapy, art, cooking, uh, and physical outdoor activity. And that was a huge success. Fantastic, especially now during these times. What a like timely thing and helping so many. And it's that comes from a lot of what you just said too, listening to your customer and clients, hearing what their challenges are, and then seeking yeah. what strengths you have to provide that meets also your own, you know, success criteria for you, like purpose-wise. Um, my gosh, it's just such a such a whirlwind. Um journey and successful implementation, I have to say too, like it's just amazing to hear you go through all of these milestones and how, how you've really overcome these challenges. Thanks. Once I got aligned with my why and what my purpose was and how I could whisk together my two loves of helping youth and families and cooking great delicious food in a mm -hmm. meaningful way, 
my purpose became much clearer. So really now here at FanJoy, what we're actually doing is cooking up change by providing educational programs, culinary counseling, and life skills training that feeds connection in order to reduce the negative impact of social isolation, poverty, and food insecurity. And we're doing that across the lifespan. Right now, there's a lot of attention and focus since I expanded the culinary studio on my junior chef program. But I use this innovative culinary counseling model that I've developed with couples and with corporate teams as well. We've even done it with seniors, seniors who have lost a partner and they can't cook for themselves at home because perhaps they've been in a traditional marriage of 50 years and their wife cooked. And now if their wife passes away, they're left not only with grief and depression and sadness about losing their partner, but they don't have the practical life skills Mm -hmm. to cook their own meal. And that in turn means they're not getting the nutrition that they need in their body to be able to manage the emotions and the cognitive distortions that depression brings to anyone. So So it's really important to combine food with mental health. You have to combine food with mental health. You cannot have good mental health on an empty stomach. Mm-hmm. I say you can't change the world on an empty stomach and we need a different kind of world. And I believe that we can do that here at FanJoy one plate at a time by nourishing body, mind, and soul all at the same time. I love that wonderful model. Oh, wow. And so we're going to get into a little bit more, maybe some suggestions on the meaningful connection, even for people on their own uh, through food. Um, But meanwhile, in this next segment, what I would like to do is what we call in search of true fulfillment. And I think you've mentioned it, you know, when you found your passion colliding together and it gave you the purpose. I'm going to give you three questions and only answer them in 10 words or one sentence. So really your gut feel as you're hearing these questions and but the idea is really to help you know others to also think about how do they really search for their true fulfillment so okay are you ready i'm ready (laughs) okay question number one how do you define success i define success as aligning your daily activities of life and work with what your authentic purpose is so that you can reach your full potential and live a healthy, joyful life sustainably. I love it. (laughs) Sounds so awesome. And you're living by that. So amazing. Congrats on that. Um, Second question. What makes Pam happy in life? (laughs) What makes me happy? I think the thing that makes me happy is using food help people heal relationships and their own self Mm -hmm. so that they can live joyful lives wonderful finally the question is what is one thing that everyone should take away from your journey that would help ignite and harvest their inner sparks I think the one thing that I've learned in my own journey is that perseverance, not perfection, gets you where you want to go and need to go at the end of the day. And you're never too old to start something new. 
Absolutely. And I think you're living proof of a lot of the concepts you just mentioned too. And the perseverance, I think, especially, you know, seeing how you've really struggled with your original business during pandemic and then really pivoting successfully, really tells you that, you know, that's something that you really have to have as a fundamental, right? Um, you know, no matter what challenges throw your way, there are different ways to look at, you know, what you do and how you can contribute. And so, and you're doing that so well. I'm so excited. Let's, let's get actually go to our last segment and really talk about the feature insight of your specific expertise and really bringing, you know, we talked about you are doing that around as a business, but I think let's talk about from a subject matter itself. How should we help others in our community to really look at food as meaningful ways to connect? Great question. Uh, I think the very first thing we need to do is allow food to become something that we use for connection instead of just seeing it as something that gives us sustenance when we eat it. Uh -huh. So come back together around the table, make time to come together around a table with those you love again. And, you know, right now it's particularly difficult for people who are living on their own or single um, to be able to do that. But th even those people can, you know, get on a Zoom call with someone you love. You know, I would invite families to think creatively about how you can make sure you come together for meals. And it doesn't have to be three meals a day. But even if you start with, you know, a couple dinners a week, the other thing that we see here all the time when I bring families into the kitchen together, uh -huh. children want to help with food. I believe that we have a responsibility as adults and as parents to help shape a healthy attitude and relationship with food for our children. And I think we're failing miserably at that. Uh -huh. So parents have a ton of opportunity and power to be able to teach your children curiosity around food, uh, understanding what different ingredients are, get curious with them. If you don't know how to cook, be willing to step up and show them that you don't have to be perfect in the kitchen. You can cook and there can be just as much meaning and importance around the fact that you're spending that half an hour with your child or your teen or your spouse or your parents as it is about the actual food that shows up on the plate at the end of your, your cooking time together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're using the food or the preparation of food as a conduit and facilitate Absolutely. that conversation, facilitate Absolutely. the connection. Love yeah. that. It's just yeah. a medium. And if you think about it like that, you don't have to be a gourmet chef. In fact, when I bring people into my kitchen, I usually don't even give them a recipe unless there's a darn good reason to, because what I'm trying oh. to teach them is how to just cook from the heart and I'm teaching them techniques of cooking that they can then apply to anything that they're cooking. So for example, how to use heat mm -hmm. and why it makes a difference in your flavor, depending on how hot your pan is or whether you're using moist heat or wet heat mm -hmm. uh, or dry heat. So those kind of techniques, you don't need a recipe for. And once you learn a few good techniques, Cooking becomes a lot less stressful for those who don't know how to cook and who maybe are a little bit afraid to get in the kitchen or make a mistake in front of their kids. 
I would also say for couples who are cooking, you know, right now tensions can sometimes get high at mm-hmm. home when you've been home together for a year. And one way to think about reframing your relationship together is to take what you have and it can be anything you have in your fridge and to learn how to resourcefully cook something up with just what you have. We need to be resourceful, right? We need to get back to the basics and we need to make dinner time as much, if not more about connecting with your family as it is about what's on your plate. Absolutely. Such important messages. Um, honestly, I'm, I'm wowed all throughout in terms of the philosophy that you have and how you're actually embedding a lot of these into the work you do. You're doing an amazing work. Congratulations on all of your success, like well-deserved. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's easy to do when you kind of line back up with what you're meant to do. So I really believe that uh, I have been put here on the earth to help families and teens in particular, transitional youth, we call them between the age of you know 15 and 29. And when I line that up with my last six-year journey of becoming a chef, uh, I really believe it's a powerful and unique combination that can add value to communities. And we're really excited this summer to be looking for a second location and launching into Guelph. Um, And I'm going to be opening a new culinary counseling and training center so that we can offer these therapeutic junior chef programs, counseling, and cooking classes to a larger audience. Absolutely. Oh, it's so exciting. Uh, I'm wishing you so much more joy and success in the coming years. And, and you have so much planned and, and also surprises. You, you're constantly adding more to your uh, I guess, portfolio of services that you're providing and the whole platform. Now people can actually feel comfortable because a lot of people are not comfortable with counseling per se, because like you said, there's Absolutely. stigma around Absolutely. that. But if you're going in there Absolutely. with a purpose, I'm, I'm actually going there to prepare food with my family. It's very different dynamic all of a sudden. It's, you know, Absolutely. it's people it's off of that back, right? It's safe. And we're tapping in, as you said earlier, to treating people holistically. Not everyone is the same. And so why are we applying, uh, you know, talk therapy and talk counseling in a cookie cutter way to different populations? So for example, you know, a lot of the youth that we've been seeing here in the last year have some, some sort of specific challenge around communication disorders or or autism, uh, fetal alcohol syndrome, and they would not be the kind of youth that would feel comfortable sitting down on a couch talking to a counselor for an hour. And the other thing that I love about my model of culinary counseling is that it's what we call milieu treatment in therapy. It is doing counseling in the moment that the problem is happening right and that just makes so much common sense to me when you go to therapy or counseling you're going in for an hour usually and you're talking to a counselor about what happened this week or a problem that came up this week for you 
but the problem largely is already come and gone and now you're ruminating backwards on it and trying to figure out you know what happened that made me feel depressed or anxious and how do I move forward with that and there's a value to that for certain people who can apply that kind of learning style but not everyone has that learning style and it is much more effective in my 25 years of experience to help people when they need it how they need it in the moment than it is to make it a theoretical topic of discussion that you hope they can go back out in the world and apply your suggestions the next time it comes up for them. That's right. Whereas when you are doing the moment, they can right away apply some of the right. things that you're talking about. Such an amazing right. idea. Yes. Can I, can I give you an example sure. of that with a couple that I recently saw? Sure. So I had uh, a couple here who were newlyweds and someone had given them for a wedding gift, uh, a couple session with me. And, you know, anyone who comes to any of our cooking programs always takes home a meal with them. And that, from my point of view, is a really important part of addressing food insecurity or hunger. Uh, because you don't know who's hungry at home and who isn't, right? They may have spent their last few dollars coming into a class to see me. So we want to make sure they have a meal to go home with. This couple decided that they wanted to have their meal here in the restaurant. And so we planned for a night when the restaurant was closed and we did a two hour cooking class and then they sat together in the restaurant and had their meal mm -hmm. and uh, I became their server. So we were making a three course meal and the dessert was a classic French recipe I learned when I was studying in France called apple tartan. And you make the apples, you slice apples and you make a caramel sauce on the stovetop. And then you put uh, a puff pastry over top of it. And then what you have to do pretty quickly is you put a sheet pan or a plate over top of your pan and you have to flip it upside down in order to serve it. Mm. And, uh, this couple were standing there and of course it's a hot pan, right? And they've spent, you know, 40 minutes making this apple tartan and it smells amazing in the kitchen. And the wife puts the dish on top of the pan, gets ready to flip it and she's scared. She suddenly becomes anxious that if she flips this, it is going to fly all over the place and she's gonna ruin the dish. So as we see her anxiety, I ask her what she's thinking and she explains what her anxiety is about. And I ask her husband what he's thinking about that. And he says, well, she worries all the time, way too much about things. And, and so we talked about that her, how her anxiety was holding her back from just committing mm. and flipping that pan quick because the trick to not making it fall apart is that you have to do it fast and doing it fast means you have to not let anxiety get in your way and you have to just commit to doing something and do it right. and know that if it falls apart, you're going to put it back together or it's not that big of a deal anyway. Mm -hmm. And isn't that what anxiety is about for a lot of us in life? Oh. So that conversation, I just simply used what was happening in the cooking to bring up a topic that I was seeing in the moment was creating an issue for her, but also could potentially create an issue in their relationship. And when we sat down at the table together, I asked them to talk to me about their different thoughts and vantage points about what commitment was as 
a newlywed couple. Mm -hmm. And it became this half an hour of very rich discussion that allowed them to see where some of their differences were, areas that maybe might create tensions between them or misunderstandings down the road about their own level of commitment to their marriage. And it all really started with an apple tart 10 and mm -hmm. me just bringing to the table what it is that we actually do here with this culinary therapy. Oh, love it. Love it. I'm so glad you gave that example. And it's so important to have, like you said, a safe place for people to start, you know, articulating that and communicating that and connecting mm -hmm. it. Um, I love that. Love what you do. Love your philosophy. And uh, <laughs> honestly, um, this is just amazing. And I think you being able to combine all of the things that you do passionately uh, into this so per such purposeful uh, direction um, is in itself uh, inspiration. So thank uh, you so much, Pam, for doing that. Thank you. And thank you for thank coming you for on the show. No, no problem. I hope you'll follow our journey. I'm uh, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at chefpamfanjoy.com. And when we open up the new Culinary Counseling and Training Center in Guelph this summer, I hope you'll come out and see us. Absolutely. And yeah, and I will actually put a lot of your social media information on our show notes. I hope a lot more people will follow you and uh, find out more about the work that you do and what, how, how they could potentially get involved. And uh, not just, like I said, even with your service, but also in the ways that they can help get food as a part of connection uh, connecting with others in the community. So thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and you sharing your journey and insight with us today and uh, wish you all the best. Oh, thank you. And remember yourself to eat well with friends. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Your thoughts on this episode is encouraged on all our social media platforms, which are listed in the podcast descriptions. I hope you would consider joining us on our online community. I look forward to seeing you there. If you like our programs, please don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and click on that bell to get notifications of any new programs. If you would like to continually support the growth of our social programs, please consider a one-time or a subscription of donations. To donate, visit ourinnersparks.com slash products slash donations. Please feel free to email us at ourinnersparks at gmail.com. Should you or someone in your life have been actively contributing in the community and have some expertise that could be shared on our podcast, please feel free to email me with a nomination for future features. Again, the email is ourinnersparks at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Our Inner Sparks Featured Insights.